0: two drivers, one team, and a former one scandal that's been brought back up after 15 years. It's time to talk about Crashgate. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Saira and today I'm talking about Crashgate. It's definitely been cropping up a lot more around social media lately after Felipe Massa said he was looking into legal routes to try and get back the 2008 F1 Drivers' Wheel Championship. So I thought it would make sense to break down the events of Crashgate and why Felipe Massa thinks it's even a possibility that he could get a championship 15 years later. Crashgate was an F1 scandal that took place during the 15th round of the 2008 F1 season, which was specifically the Singapore Grand Prix. It was a scandal that surrounded one team, and that was the Reynolds F1 team. Their first driver at the time was Fernando Alonso, who had returned to the team where he had won both of his championships with after a year's stint with McLaren and their second driver was Nelson Piquet Jr, who is the son of three-time world champion Nelson Piquet. The Singapore race weekend hadn't started off too badly for Enel. The practice sessions had gone pretty well for them and they were showing good pace, but when it came to qualifying, Fernando and Nelson ended up being in 15th and 16th place on the grid, and Fernando's Session in particular had been compromised because of a mechanical failure. That's where they ended up starting the race, Fernando in 15th and Nelson in 16th. Now, 2008 was still a time where refuelling was allowed during a pit stop, and on lap 12 of the Grand Prix, Fernando ended up pitting for tyres and fuel. So here's the thing cars that started further back on the grid would usually opt to have a pretty heavy fuel load. It would mean that they could go for longer without having to pit and would also mean that they would be able to make less pit stops in the race compared to those higher up on the grid. Fernando decided to do the exact opposite though. He was on a light fuel load at the start of the race so he could try and make up some places quickly and that is why he ended up pitting earlier than some of the drivers that were around him. Three laps after Fernando Alonso had come out of the pits, Nelson Piquet Jr. had crashed into a wall at turn 17 and a safety car was deployed whilst the car was recovered. Currently, safety car regulations mean that a driver can pit the minute a safety car has come out. So a driver at the front can get a massive advantage if all the cars are spread out quite far, because the chances are they aren't going to lose a place by the time the field bunches up, or they'll only end up losing a handful of places, and it would be a lot less compared to pitting during the race. But this wasn't the case in 2008. Cars were not allowed to pit until the entire field had been bunched up behind the safety car. So, if you were leading the race and one of the only cars that decided to pit during the safety car, then it's more than likely that you would have ended up at the back of a pack. And since Fernando had only just pitted before the safety car had come out and had a heavy fuel load, he was at a massive advantage. Most of the leading cars had needed to pit and ended up behind Fernando, And those drivers also ended up behind cars that were much slower and since the circuit had some narrow roads, they weren't easy to pass. For the drivers that also hadn't pitted during the safety car and were still ahead of Fernando, they were on a light fuel load and had to pit later on in the race, whilst Fernando, who was now carrying a heavier fuel load, didn't have to worry so much about that. In the final third of the race, Fernando Alonso finally took the lead and went on to win the Singapore Grand Prix and he was chuffed with the result. 15 races in, and this was his first podium and his first win of the season, and it was definitely something that both he and the team were going to want to celebrate, especially considering the fact that he had started in 15th and then went on to win the race. Post-race interviews with Nelson Piquet Jr. had him explain that he was dealing with some tyre graining, and it was just getting worse for him as the race went on. The team had asked him to push and he had ended up losing the rear of the car and crashing. There was no action that was taken over the incident, it wasn't like he'd had a racing incident with another driver and crashed into someone else, ruining their race. And the accident was just classified as a simple mistake. Ranel, on the other hand, would just celebrating Fernando's drive. They said it had been a brilliant tactical race from him and the use of the safety car was lucky. And yeah, sure, there were a couple of people that were questioning the crash, but a journalist for Grandprix.com didn't put a lot of stock into those thoughts. He thought those people were just cynics and that nobody would really want to think that a team would be that desperate to basically sacrifice one of their drivers. Apparently, Felipe Massa at the time had questioned the managing director of Renault, Flavio Briatore, but the FAA president had also said it was just all speculation that was going around. There was no action that could be taken just because of some hearsay, and that was the matter put to bed for a while. The season just continued on with Fernando finishing fifth, Nelson in twelfth, and their collective points meant that Renault finished the year as fourth in the constructors. There were some rumours floating around that Nelson Piquet wouldn't be re-signed to the team for 2009, but they did opt to keep him on for another year. Ten races into the 2009 season though, and Nelson hadn't scored a single point yet, whilst Fernando had managed to get 13 on the board. And at the start of August, Reynold had decided to drop Nelson Piquet Jr. from their lineup in the middle of the year. Nelson, unsurprisingly, wasn't pleased about this and was very critical of the team as he left. By the end of August, a Brazilian TV station was reporting that Nelson had been ordered to crash in Singapore and pretty much straight after that report, the FIA announced that it was investigating alleged incidents at a previous F1 event which basically meant that they were going to be looking into the events of the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. On September 4th, Renault were officially accused of interfering with the race results. The FIA said they were charging Reynold with being in breach of Article 151C of the International Sporting Code, which is basically a casual article that relates to any kind of fraudulent activity. They were saying that the team had worked with Nelson Piquet Jr. to get him to deliberately crash during the Singapore Grand Prix after Fernando Alonso had pitted to get a safety car to be deployed and allowing Fernando to gain an advantage. Reynold were then summoned to a meeting at the World Motorsport Council on September 21st but the team refused to make a statement after the charges were announced. Nearly a week after the FIA had announced the charges, Nelson had gone to make his second statement to the FIA on the matter. And on the exact same day, his first statement to them was leaked online. In that statement, he said he was asked by Briatore and Pat Simmons, who was the Executive Director of Engineering, to deliberately crash at a specific corner. And the corner was important because Toon 17 didn't have a crane and would have forced the safety car to come out. Fernando had said that he hadn't known anything about this. He wasn't included in any conversations, no one had mentioned to him about Nelson crashing on purpose, and he said this just wasn't something that ever entered his mind. He wasn't able to imagine it. Nelson wasn't too sure about this, though. He said that in Fernando's shoes, he would have questioned the sense of race strategy. You know, the one where no one else near him was following the same strategy. But that didn't matter, and before Rannell even went to the Motorsport Council, Fernando was cleared of any blame by the FIA. And a day after the transcripts had been released, Max Mosley, the head of the FIA at the time, said that Nelson wouldn't have any further action taken against him since he had made two statements. And this was kind of similar to the way the McLaren drivers had been treated in Spygate. I've done an entire episode on that, so head over and check that out if you haven't listened to it after this one. But basically, the McLaren drivers at the time were told that as long as they helped the FAA out with the investigation, they wouldn't have any action taken against them. So that wasn't an unusual route for the FAA to take. The drama did not stop there, though, for Nelson, because that same day, Reynolds had come out and announced that they were planning to take legal action against Nelson Piquet Jr. and his dad, Nelson Piquet, in the French and British courts. They were saying that both father and son had made false allegations and had even tried to blackmail the team with the information to try and get Nelson Piquet Jr. to keep his seat for the rest of 2009. Now, the younger Piquet had said he was telling the truth about everything. He had nothing to fear, nothing to hide. He knew the power and influence that Rennell and Briatore held, but he wasn't going to be bullied into another decision that he would regret. On September 14th, Pat Simmons was apparently offered immunity from the hearing if he was willing to provide the FIA with information about the events. And it's reported at the time that he'd said the idea from the crash had come from Nelson Piquet Jr., then, two days later, Renault F1 team had said they weren't going to contest any of the charges at the meeting on the 21st, and that Simmons and Breitle had left the team, with the team saying that Breitle had opted to resign, with him saying that he was just trying to save the team. That was all. Regardless, the FAA went and confirmed that yes, the World Motorsport Council meeting would be going ahead and that Renault could still face sanctions. And finally we got to the meeting which consisted of a 90-minute hearing and by the end of it the council had imposed a disqualification for the Renault F1 team suspended for two years. So if any kind of similar incident happened before 2011 they would be banned completely from Formula 1. Now the whole reason that the council didn't throw Rannell out of F1 straight away, even though they thought they had more than enough reason to, was because the team had acted quickly in forcing Briatore and Simmons to resign. Flavio Briatore was indefinitely banned from FIA's sanctioned events. Briatore had refused to admit that he'd been involved in the scheme, which was why the council had decided to give him such a harsh punishment. Pat Simmons, on the other hand, was given a five-year ban since he had admitted his involvement and expressed his regret over the whole situation. A huge contributing factor to the sanctions for Briatore and Simmons was a statement from Witness X. They were an employee for Reynolds who had been there at the pre-race meeting where the plan was being discussed but didn't want to go along with it. Fernando Alonso was officially cleared of any wrongdoing since the FIA wasn't able to find any evidence that he or his side of the garage had known anything about the planned crash. By the middle of October, Briatore, not happy with the decision, announced that he was planning to sue the FIA because of his sanction. He had said that the FIA had been used as a tool of vengeance on behalf of one man, which seems slightly dramatic. He also said that there were a number of miscarriages of justice which included a delay in summons and a lack of access to the documents and to Witness X. And in January 2010, a French court had overturned his ban and awarded him 15,000 euros as compensation. Pat Simmons had also had his ban overturned and 5,000 euros in compensation was given to him. Six days later, the FIA announced that they were going to appeal the decision of the French courts overturning both of the bans. And while this appeal was ongoing, the FIA made the decision to reinstate the bans. Finally, in April, the FIA, Briatore and Simmons had come to a settlement, and the legal action between them had ended. Briatore and Simmons had agreed that they wouldn't work in F1 until 2013, and also wouldn't work in any FIA-sanctioned event until the end of 2011. Fast forward to December 2010 and the PKs had won their libel case against the Renault F1 team at High Court. The team had to apologise to both of them whilst paying them for damages. Renault made a statement basically saying that they accepted that the allegations that were made by Nelson PK Jr. were not false and that they wanted to apologise to him and his father for the allegations that the team had made about them and wanted to withdraw that statement that they had made. They also accepted the fact that neither of the PKs had invented the allegations to try and blackmail the team into letting Nelson Piquet Jr. keep his seat for the rest of 2009. Even though Nelson Piquet Jr. had come away from Crashgate without even a slap on the wrist really from the FIA, a lot of people in F1 had criticised his involvement. Martin Brundle had said that his part in Crashgate had made him unemployable in F1 and that no team was going to want to be associated with the Piquet family. And he wasn't the only one that was vocal on this subject. Christian Horner, who, yep, was the TP of Red Bull back in the day, said that he didn't think Red Bull Racing would have any interest in Nelson Piquet Jr. In 2011, Pat Simmons had returned to F1 as a technical consultant for Virgin Racing, he then left in 2013 to become a chief technical officer for Williams for 3 years. As of right now, Simmons is the chief technical officer for Formula 1. So even though he did have to deal with a short ban, it obviously didn't leave a lasting effect on his career because look at where he is now. And as for Flavio Briatore, he ended up returning to F1 as an ambassador for the sport in 2022. And that seems insane to me. Your CTO and an ambassador for the sport were involved in one of the biggest scandals in F1. I don't know if there are many other places where something like that would happen and you would still be able to move up the ladder, get an even better job, be an ambassador for the job or for the sport and the sector you're working in. Because this wasn't a cover-up. Everyone knew what had happened, everyone knew their involvement, and that just seems a bit interesting to me. Anyway though, now getting to the present day, and why Felipe Massa thinks he has a chance to get the 2008 Championship by pursuing legal action, or attempting to pursue legal action. Bernie Eccleston had done an interview with The Mirror this year, where he had mentioned Crashgate. He'd said that both he and Max Mosley had been aware of what had happened, and they'd decided not to do anything. And that was basically because neither of them wanted a huge scandal to surround the sport. And I guess with Spygate having happened in 2007... F1 were probably eager not to have another massive scandal on their hands. Eccleston said that there was a rule at the time that meant that a world championship ranking was not able to be changed after the official FIA award ceremony was hosted at the end of the year. And that had meant that Lewis Hamilton was given the trophy and everything was fine. And because of that, he thinks that Felipe Massa should be the champion for 2008 and not Lewis. It wasn't long after that interview had come out that Felipe Massa was reported to have started to investigate whether he would be able to take legal action. Lewis had won the championship by a single point and had managed to pick up an extra six points in Singapore, whilst Felipe had left with none, having finished in P13. So if Felipe could not avoid the results of Singapore, it would mean that he would be able to get the championship. And I have to admit that this feels like a little bit of a long shot. 15 years later to try and overturn those results? I think a lot of people would question why he didn't take action sooner, especially if it's true that he'd had his suspicions from the get-go. He would need evidence that what Bernie Eccleston was saying was in fact the truth, but part of the issue is that Max Mosley is no longer alive to agree with or dispute those comments, and how much solid written evidence is there that both of them knew what had gone on? Why would anyone want to keep documentation like that, which would be incriminating? So right now, it just seems like a lot of hearsay. And not only that, but look, there have been a few championships that people could call controversial throughout the entire history of F1. This isn't a new thing. Most recently, people could try and refute Abu Dhabi 2021. But there are also allegations that Nelson Piquet had used illegal fuel to win in 1982. In 2009, the Braun F1 team had won both the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship using illegal diffusers. So someone could go and try and refute both of those championships. And the question there for me is, where do you draw the line? Where do you stop with this and how many cans of worms would it end up opening? Is this really something that the FIA would one, be willing to look into and two, be willing to go back on with Race Results and an entire championship? Personally, I can't see that happening. And that just about sums up the events of Crashgate and why it's being brought back to the attention of F1 fans 15 years later. For me, this feels even crazier than Spygate because Reynolds were really willing to sacrifice one half of their team for the other and that just feels insane to me. Like, I know right now we talk about teams having a first and second driver and giving team orders but I couldn't imagine them wanting one of their drivers to crash on purpose to benefit the other side of the garage and also for a driver to go along with it. For me, I think that's the craziest thing about this all, that Nelson Piquet Jr. was so willing to go on with this and wreck his own race. I don't know why any driver would willingly go through that. Especially now with a cost cap, I really don't think any teams are going to want drivers to be crashing and costing them more in parts and repairs. But this is just an absolutely crazy story to me. So there won't be an episode next week I am so so sorry I won't be covering Baku and my reaction to the race on here since I am going to be away on holiday but keep an eye on my TikTok at stewards underscore office or on my Instagram which has the same handle because hopefully I'll be posting some of my race reactions on there so you can get your fill of the stewards office content somewhere. Thank you guys so much for watching, make sure you follow this podcast so you get an update whenever there's a new episode, and I will see you guys the next time. Your summon summoned to the steward's office.